what was that? It was in the 13th century, 15th century. They, uh, the monks and so on, they would uh, pray that God would lead them. And one of the ways that they prayed that God would lead them, they would build these little boats out of um, bendable twigs, or not twigs, but um, pines, or not pine trees either, but anyhow, limbs that they would bend, and they would cover them in animal skin, and they were big enough for one or two people, and then they would set out in the river and in the ocean, and they wouldn't take a, a, an oar, but they would put up a sail and pray that God would direct them wherever they were supposed to go. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and um, they, they, would, they talked about some of the places that they landed and how that um, when they got there, the king of that area would say, why are you here? And they said, well, God brought us here. And they would be able to, well, God would, bring, yeah, we didn't have an oar. <laughs> All we did was set sail from wherever it was they told them. And it is thought that they went across and into Iceland and then down the coast and even as far as Florida, long before Columbus uh, ever, ever came. And it is thought that Columbus actually um, looked at those monks at their maps before he started out. So these were, these were monks who were dedicating themselves to pray and to, um, to spreading the message of Jesus Christ and some of the things that they did way back in the 15th century. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Wales, England, Scotland, you know, those types, those countries. And there's much more. So anyhow, uh, children can be dismissed for children's church. Terry, do we have a timer? <laughs> Last week he was just gone, you know. <laughs> you know, in all the years that I have been speaking, since 1972, if you're wanting to know, uh, I've never spoken a complete series on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm bound to determined to do it. No matter if it takes an hour or two hours today, I'm going to make sure. No, <laughs> it's okay. No. Uh, so we're continuing our series, and this is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Um, and it is talking about love, loving all people. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, Hate your enemy. <laughs> Jesus is telling his followers, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with, an inner, with the energies of prayer. For then you, are going, then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. Kind of sounds like this morning's sermon or Sunday school. A little tidbit, if you want an excellent <laughs> sermon and want an excellent message, turn and go to Sunday school for today and last week with Job. Those were, I think, some of the two best uh, on the list of the best that I've ever spoken or 
put together. So anyhow, if you look and listen to them and it's not very good, then don't look any further for better ones. So anyhow, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, this is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. It, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. <laughs> Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. It's everything that God asks us to do, all right? Everything that is commanded for us to do in the scriptures is reflective of what God has already done for us. Okay? Uh, I like verse 48, and maybe I'll start with the conclusion, then I can get to the conclusion before I begin. I know. Do you like that? You have to yeah, change, the, yeah, change, it, change the countdown. Yeah. So anyhow, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Okay? What the challenge is, is that we need to grow beyond where we're at. You know, you can be 70 years old and not still a kid in your, in your, in your spiritual approach to things. You know, uh, being in church doesn't, doesn't mean, you know, I, I've been in enough church situations and church problems with people that just because you've been, a person has been a member for many years doesn't mean they've grown up spiritually. You know, one of the most spiritual people most godly person I ever met was a seven-year-old. And she was dying with cancer. And she was there in the hospice. This was when it, way back when I first started. And um, I know her name. still remember it. I used to carry her little admission slip with me in my pocket, but it kind of wore out. But she said she was dying, you know, she was in the last days of her life, and she says, you know, I've lived a full life. <laughs> and, and her parents, you know, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, I love God and God loves me. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I know Daddy loves me and I love Daddy. And I know my mommy loves me and I love mommy. I've lived a full life. <laughs> It, and, you know, and she was this spiritual person that, you know, in her church, um, they would have the children come up and sit on the, and have a children's message, you know, the first, you know, for five minutes or so at the beginning of the, uh, the sermon. And she always had the best insight of anybody. That's what the pastor said and people said. So growing up doesn't have to be our age. It has to, ha it is to deal with our understanding about life about the decisions that we make, about what our decisions have with other people and what other people's decisions have with us. And being able to have insight enough to be able to grow up in our maturity and look at them, look at them differently. You see, you're familiar with the old law, love your friends, and the unwritten law, hate your enemy. 
<laughs> so it was like the, the love expressed here is kind of like a brotherly love. You know, there's different types of love in the Greek. There's three, four, I can't remember right now. But anyhow, one of them is a sacrificial love. One of them is a parent, parental love for a child. One of them is a brotherly love, Philadelphia. Uh, one of them is a, you know, companion love between a husband and wife. So this one speaks of a love as a brotherly love, okay? To love your, to love your enemy like you would love a brother. Now, they're your enemy, so you've heard what it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Your enemy is a person who has decided to hurt you or harm you. And God wants us to pray for that person. Now maturity says, immaturity says, they hate me, I hate them. Right? They do bad to me, I'm going to do bad for them. Tit for tat. They hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. And so this, this conflict, where does it stop? When does it cease? And the challenge is, growing up spiritually, is that we recognize that we are to pray for these people just as God has prayed for us. God, God has forgiven us, we hurt God. <laughs> How? By our thoughts and our, ang- and our actions and our language and our, what we've done and didn't do or whatever. We've hurt, we've sinned. We've blocked the relationship between God and I. And God wants, and God, the will of God is to get rid of the blockage, the sin, the difficulty. That's what God wants to do in our own life. And so what God wants us to do then in relationship to our enemies, those who have decided to hurt us, is to get rid of what stands in the gap between us. So the challenge is that I will forgive them even though they didn't ask for forgiveness. That I will pray for them, even though they don't want me to. What I am doing is I am opening the door of my life so that their injury doesn't take a permanent residence in me. Because some people are very bitter. Anybody ever meet a better, a bitter, a better bitter person? <laughs> Uh, being bitter is just eaten alive on the inside emotionally. Where, you, you know, every thought becomes angry. Every, every thought becomes hurtful. Where our desires turn to destroying and hurting rather than loving and forgiving and building. So we can't live that way towards others without it affecting our own life. And so God wants us to let go of it. He says in verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt or persecute you. See, the enemies is that the one who has hated. Someone for whatever reason hates you. And, but I say to you, love your brotherly love. That sense of of, um, friendship and, um, you know, family. You want to create a place where that person who has hated you now becomes open to your open to the relationship. That's very hard because we cannot control their life. I always, I always tell people where there's a where there's a conflict, 
What am I going to do with my son or my daughter or, you know, family members or whatever? There's just been this ongoing difficulty. You can't fix them. You can only fix yourself. And fixing ourselves is to forgive ourselves and forgive them and then open the door in the relationship for them to come in. You can't force them through the door. You can only open the door and present an opportunity for them to come. That's all. But if you're standing at this door hurling bricks at them, they're not coming. So just, just in case you wanted to know that, all right? Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, to never lose hope. When people are our enemies and they do something against us, we often feel like they've just destroyed my life. I mean, you know, if something, you know, you've been working at a project or working, you know, I I think of it at uh, working at, at a job, and somebody sabotages what you're up to, and they totally misrepresent you, It's like they've totally destroyed my life. What am I going to do now? Well, the Bible says for us, verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 of Luke says, we have to pray. We have to pray, don't faint. (laughs) Don't pass out like it's all over. But, and then he says, never lose hope. The idea of praying for someone and praying about your life and praying about the situation is we are joining ourselves with God. Often, I mentioned this this morning, and one of the things, again, I took away from this meeting this week was, um, you know, you know it, but you just never say it the right way sometimes. We often think that we have our life and we're asking God to join us. You know, God bless my efforts. (laughs) God, bless my whatever I'm doing. In reality, God is the one who's leading and we're joining ourselves with God. This is God's life. (laughs) He created you. You didn't get here by the will of man. (laughs) You got here by the will of God. All right? I'm here by the will of God. He, He knew I would be here and he created me. All right? Never lose sight of that. He created me. God did. And now I am joining myself with him. And in joining myself with God, I am finding out that everything that God has promised becomes part of my life. That God will never leave me nor forsake me. Why? Because I am with him and he's promised never to let me go. So, in Luke Uh, chapter 18, verse 2, where Jesus is speaking of a wrong done to a widow and her uh, her course of action. I I don't don't want to read it all, but this is the the lady who went to see the judge who, and it says, the judge neither feared God nor regarded man. So this judge just didn't care. So this lady, this widow, she came to him saying, avenge me, my adversary. Take care of my adversary. Take care of the people who are who've done me wrong. And the judge says, yeah, right, lady, get out of here. Now, we often, we don't live under that type of society. But it reminds me of um, 
in El Salvador. Uh, David was helping a um, young person from, you know, child from the remote villages, very poor, that uh, they came in and the, to the hospital. And generally, people from the remote villages who come into the hospital, they just, they don't take care of them. And so David and them had given them money to pay the hospital so the hospital would take care of them. Well, even though they paid the money, they still didn't change their attitude, sent them home and said, oh, your child's going to be deaf. Send it out. And so David, no, 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 no. So David went with them into the hospital and said, we've already paid. Now the child has an ear infection, correct? And they said, yeah. Give them the medication so she won't be deaf. Okay. All she needed was medication because she had an ear infection. But because she was of a remote area, she was of no value. Okay? Well, here's this widow who is of no value, and the judge says, I'm not going to pay attention to her. But Jesus is using this illustration for us that he says, Yet because the widow troubles me, I will avenge her. The widow just won't stop nagging me. I think there's some women who could qualify for that. <laughs> Is there any ladies you know that could qualify for this part of the play? <laughs> What's that? Be careful, Be careful. yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if you knew of someone. I didn't say anybody here. I didn't say if you know of someone who might qualify for this part. I don't know. So, well, Jesus says, the Lord, and verse 6 is, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night before him, though he, hear, though he bear long with them? Meaning that, shall God, not shall God not avenge his elect, the people who are his? Because we pray, and we continue to pray about a situation that is unjust, do you see that whenever we are joined with God, that we are not giving up on ourselves, we're not uh, giving up on the problem, we're not allowing the adversary to win, we are forgiving, we are dealing. Jesus did this his, his entire life. He forgave the people. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They're, he's hanging on the cross. He is, he is living this, and he is, he is showing us the way to find spiritual maturity and ways of changing our life. Now again, Jesus is speaking to these people on the Sermon on the Mount. He is challenging almost everything, every area of their life that they've learned, that they've been taught by the religious system, and he's telling them it's all, it's all wrong. And so, but I say to you, love your enemies. Don't hate your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, to the Jews at that time, you were to love your brother, but hate your neighbor. You know, but he didn't describe who his neighbor was, so the neighbors were Gentiles, and his love your, love your friends, the, the fellow Jews. And Jesus is saying, that's not right. Verse 45. If you do this, you will, be too, you will be true children of your Father in heaven. He causes, this is the important part, Jesus is saying, 
that the Father causes the Son to rise on evil people and on good people. He sends rain to those who do right and rain to those who do wrong. <laughs> you know, I think uh, we would, you know, being the spiritually mature individuals that we are, we would never think that, God, why are you blessing these people who do wrong? Well, you see, it, when it comes to the end of all things, when everybody stands before God, everyone who isn't going to heaven because they said, you've never done anything for me, God, God will say, yes, I did. All those good things, I brought them into your life. You took credit for it, but I did it for you. All the times in which I caused you to want to forgive yourself and forgive your neighbors and forgive those who hurt you, you decided that it was better to hate them than to receive my forgiveness. They're all going to know that when it comes time for God to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Okay? But for us, we're looking at this, God is blessing. All the good things that come into our life are a gift from God. Every good blessing that comes to us is a gift from God. Thank you very much. <laughs> you see, we're walking with God. We are walking with God. He goes before us. Now, if we want him to continue to walk with us, you know, we need, to, we need to listen to what he is saying. We need to grow up in our faith, grow up in our understanding of what life is about. Um, see, do, do you walk, do you see you, do you see you walking with God through every valley, through, over every mountain? Do you see yourself dealing with life as God is dealing with you? See, he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of comfort and strength. He is the spirit that declares nothing is impossible. He is the one who tells us that nothing can separate us from him. He is the one, you see, it's on our relationship with him that everything exists. Everything we have and live and move and have our being, it's from him. The whole world is in existence because of Christ. He created it. He sustains it. And he will, he will continue to sustain it until he decides that there is no more. So we are just getting to the point where we're beginning to understand it. Now, let your enemy bring the best out of you, not the worst. You see, if God is in charge of all things, even the bad things that happen to our life, we just went through this in the book of Job in our Sunday school lesson, if God is there and he is allowing difficulties into our life, he's allowing problems to come into our life, they're there for a purpose, to help us grow up and to change and to become more mature and to ask for help. Sometimes we think we can do this on our own. If we think we can do it on our own, we're wrong. God is the one who wants us to see that as we need him, we are finding our strength, not our weaknesses. It's just kind of the opposite of all the stuff that goes in. Well, if I need help, that means I'm weak. No, if I ask God for help, it means that I found the strength of my life. 
because he created me. And he's got all this stuff going on in my life. Divine providence. (laughs) The protective care of God. God is the creator, divine providence states that God is the creator of heaven and earth and that all that occurs in this universe takes place under the divine provision, the divine providence of God. That is under God's sovereign guidance and control. According to believers, God governs creation as a loving father working all things for good. You see, it doesn't mean we're going to understand it and see it all at this moment, but we're trusting him to bring it around and to bring it good. All right. Verse 45. For your father in heaven, he cares, excuse me, he causes the sun to rise on evil people and on the good people. He sends rain to those who do right and those who do wrong. You know, sometimes we say the rain, rain falls on the just and the unjust. For us, we think, well, that means on a rainy day, it's bad. But, you know, people in the Middle East, when it rains, that's a blessing. You know, because they live in a desert. So God's blessing comes to all, and that's the challenge. So as we think of it this way, God is at work in our world. God is at work in your world. He's at work there with you, beside you, before you, behind you, above you, beneath you. His blessings on your life are there, but you know, he blesses other people. Deuteronomy says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. God is saying he is going to bless us. All right, verse 46. If you love only people who love you, you will get no reward. Even the tax collectors do that. So, The separation between believers and non-believers is the believers have a love for the people who hate them. (laughs) Verse 47. If you are nice only to your friends, you are no better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to their friends. So we're going beyond human perspective of nice to finding how that God loves us and he loves others. So we remember that we are not meant to look to our own strength or make things look more fashionable. What we need so desperately is God. (laughs) What we need more desperately than anything else is this relationship with God where I find that he loves me and that then I reflect that and I love him. I see how God has loved me and has forgiven me so I reflect that in loving others and forgiving others i do not have an enemy just people haven't become my friends yet (laughs) no i haven't attained this i'm just telling you all right in case case some of you say pastor i you know you don't love everybody do you and i said well no not really (laughs) there's some people that are on my do not call list There are some people I wish I was done on their do not call this, you know. (laughs) So, when we feel out of control, God definitely is in control. We need to to look at it. Open, Open all that is, often all that is expected of us is to be silent and to rest in him and knowing that God is with us. 
I am with him. God is leading, I am with him. (laughs) I was thinking of the Apostle Paul and when things go wrong and uh, he wrote to the church at Corinth and he was telling them uh, that they were bragging, there were people there bragging about all their all their uh, uh, abilities and the Hebrew of the Hebrews and all that kind of stuff, their religious training and everything. And Paul was far above them all. But it says, when we feel life is out of control, this is my interpretation, when we feel life is out of control, we recognize that God is in control. And so Paul says, I've worked much harder than these other guys that you're referring to. I've been jailed more often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. At death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once, stoned him. They stoned him to death. They thought he died. And so that's why they quit stoning him. I've been, ship, I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. I'm in hard travel times, in hard traveling year, in, in, out, year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, <laughs> struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert sun and the sea storm, betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, Many a long and lonely nights without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it. So whenever we start thinking that our life is out of control, (laughs) Paul is saying God has always been in control, even through all of these things. So, verse 48, so you must be perfect. Now that's where we kind of draw the line and say, Not happening. (laughs) I am not perfect. Well, you must be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The understanding here is the standard that God demands of his people is his own perfect character. So we're looking at the perfect character of Christ, and this is our goal. Not that we are going to be perfect in this life, But we have a goal that we are to love people as Christ loved people. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven. We are to be understanding of those who fail and make mistakes as he is. We are to have the character. So we're constantly looking at that which is perfect and trying to bring, allow God to bring it into our life because we're walking with him. And most of the time, I think we're like the people on the road to Emmaus after, the, after Jesus has risen from the dead. These two, these two guys are walking from um, Jerusalem back to Emmaus. It's about seven miles. And while they're walking, they're discouraged and upset. Jesus has died. They, they, some of the crazy women came and said, you know, he's, he's risen from the dead. They're, you know, they're delusional. And we don't know what to believe. And Jesus walks alongside of them. And Jesus says to them, why are you looking for the, well, this has happened in the cemetery. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? <laughs> well, 
That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, and they were in deep conversation going over the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. (laughs) And I think that's us. We're walking with Jesus, but we don't often recognize him. He's there walking with us, and we don't often recognize him because he's not telling us what we want to hear. He's telling us we have to hear things differently. Jesus says to these two, what are you discussing? And they just kind of stood there long-faced as if they had lost their best friend, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? Can you imagine us in that conversation? David, why are you there so long-faced? Well, don't you just know what's going on in my life? (laughs) Don't you know how bad I've got it? My friends don't like me anymore. (laughs) My problems, they, they spit lies about me, or this didn't work out, as if, as if God doesn't know. And Jesus is walking there with them. (laughs) And he says to these two guys, what's happened? (laughs) And they kind of go into their explanation of the death that Jesus has gone through. (sighs) He was a man of God. We had our hopes. And it's been three days since he's been dead. We had our hopes that this would be the time that everything would work out perfectly. (laughs) Don't you know what has just happened? God, do I have to tell you again (laughs) what's just happened? When they came to the village, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on, but they pressed him to stay. So he went in with them, and here here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. And the bread, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the word. And so here we are, hearing his word. We are hearing his word. We're hearing Jesus speak to us. We are hearing Jesus speak to us through his word. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. What does it take for us to see that Jesus is speaking to our own hearts? Is it his voice? Like Mary (laughs) at the tomb? Mary, (laughs) and she recognized his voice. These two, was it his hands that he broke the bread and blessed it? Was it the way he prayed? Or was it the nail prints in his hands that got their attention, that got them to realize, this is Jesus? (laughs) And for us, when we hear his word, hear the word written, whether we read it or someone speaking it, this is Jesus speaking to us. What makes it real? Is it his voice? Is it his hands? Is it the ringing in our heart? Wow, 
I need this. That's God. Shall we stand? <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you walk with us. <laughs> no, I guess I should rephrase that. We walk with you. God, we walk with you, and you have a plan and a purpose for our life, and you knew we'd be here. You knew exactly what all the problems, difficulties that we face. You know exactly where we're at and all these things. And your word is spoken to our minds and our hearts in a way that we can understand. But we must look to your spirit, to your strength, to help us apply it to our daily lives, where we will find victory, where we will find stability, where we will find strength, where we will know that the truth of your word sets us free from the bondages of our own sin and our own wrongness and things that we've done or love to do or whatever they may be. God, we thank you for loving us more. We thank you for giving us more than we deserve. You give us the abundance of your grace and of your divine favor. We thank you for these things. Thank you for forgiving us. And Lord, we thank you for the miraculous that you are doing and will continue to do in our life each day. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.